What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Speak the Language podcast. It is an exciting time to be a whitetail hunter right now, especially if you live in the Midwest and a lot of other parts of the country where the rut is kicking full swing right now. And with it being early November, we thought it would be the perfect time to do an episode about calling. And not just about calling, but I mean diving into the specifics of it. What types of calls to use and when. Using a grunt call and a can call together at the same time. Rattling, snort wheezing, calling setup. That's very important. A lot of people don't think about setups when they call. We dive into all of those subjects and a whole lot more, and we do it with arguably the most knowledgeable person in the world, Will Primos himself. Will's been calling deer for a long, long time, longer than me and Jordan. And so we decided we'd sit down with him, pick his brain, see what he thought. And I really think some of the things that he said we could all listen to, we could all kind of put in our repertoire and pull it out when it's that time of year. And I think it could help bring us success and getting a buck into range this year. So I really hope you enjoy it. And lastly, we always get questions in from you guys asking how you can help the podcast. Well, I'll tell you exactly what you can do. You can go to iTunes, to our page. You can give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It really does help. Enjoy the show. Okay, so on this week's episode of the podcast, we have uh, Will's with us today. Jordan's with us today. So we're doing this podcast will for two different reasons one of them is because since it's november a lot of folks in the midwest and all over the country it's rut time for them so they're thinking about calling deer and decoys and all that and then the second reason is that jordan and brad are both going to kansas we're leaving on sunday when this podcast comes out we will be in kansas yeah and seeing as i'm probably going to have to film you i don't want you know i want to make sure that i want will to give you advice so you don't mess up I'm going. <laughs> I'm going with Troy. <laughs> See, you like that joke. Yeah, he mm. found that amusing. Uh, and so the different things that we could talk about as far as just the different facets and, and all that. but Is all this part of the podcast? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. We're recording right now. Okay. He's tying a knot in my cord over there. You need to put your mic up towards your mouth, too. <laughs> now it's in his <laughs> now it's in his eye if anybody could see this <laughs> lord d so as far as like will you've been calling it deer for a long time yes sir and so let's talk about jordan what do you think we should i mean we've got set up timing different calls I let, me, let me tell you how long i've been calling deer okay I've been calling deer so long that in 1986, we produced, before the Truth Series ever got started, a video about calling deer. Mm -hmm. And we had to think of an angle because there had to be more than just calling deer. And we were trying to video, and we weren't real successful. What we were trying. We named the video Calling Deer to the Tuned Bow. <laughs> Every time I think about that name, it just about makes me just crack up. <laughs> so <clears throat> we got a crew involved, and we showed how to properly set up a bow. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it was well produced but lacked in the footage category. <laughs> That's where the phrase LOF came up. 
LOL. Lack of footage. Lack of footage. <laughs> I have that problem a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> we got serious LOF. <laughs> That's why we're doing podcasts now. To make up have, for it. You don't have to have footage for this. <laughs> but you know, in, 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 what what uh, what 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 caused this phenomenon or this unbelievable? Like I never heard a deer do that. I, what's going on? What are y'all talking about? Are y'all making this up so you can sell calls? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? The country grew up with not too many deer, mm-hmm. especially in the southeast. So you ran dogs mm-hmm. to get them out of the swamps, to get the deer moving, and to run across people. And that's the only time they ever saw deer. So they, they never were around deer in, in their natural state, mm-hmm. going through the pre-rut, going through the rut, going through the post-rut. And so deer were not calling to each other and were not interacting verbally vocally except at night right because you ran dogs and they were running for their life trying to outrun the dogs and back then nobody used calls so it got started in different parts of the country where people quit using dogs and the primary reason for that was that they were expensive Mm. expensive to keep them year round and to feed them and to have a pack of dogs and so the dog men are fewer and far between, especially in today's time yeah. in this year, 2019. But all that began back in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. in the southeast, especially. And as it went on, dogs got harder to pay for, harder to afford, and people began to steal hunt. And all of a sudden, somebody's still hunting, and they see this book dog and a doe coming out on the edge of a food plot or something going and they're beginning to understand oh he's grunting at her he's telling her to stop he's telling her to hold up and next thing you know you're you're getting balanced herds you're Mm. getting a opportunity where you're seeing one doe to one buck because people have managed the land managed Mm. the herd killed the does and if they kill 10 bucks, they kill 10 does. They kept the herd balanced. And so vocalizations became more and more and more observed by the general hunter. Mm-hmm. And that's what really caused the popularity to just go through the roof. Right. You could even, I, I guess you could see that more on like a, like a, a more modern scale, I guess, as I can remember, like in the place where I grew up at when I was younger, there was still not a lot, but they there was still some dog running and and that sort of thing, and no one there was no herd management, and so I you know deer calling was something that was kind of foreign to me because you know everyone's like it doesn't really work here, and then someone taught me you know about well the reason it doesn't work as well in that situation is you've got a herd that's all out of whack you don't have right. you don't have bucks you know a, a buck has you have a one buck to six doe ratio. So there's not really any competition. How about one, one buck to 20 does? Right, right. So when yeah. the rut comes around, they don't really have to work for it. They don't have mm-hmm. the reason to be grunting and roaring and, and fighting co- each competing. other. Competing yeah. for it. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, don't get me wrong. Hunting with dogs is a social event mm-hmm. and is extremely entertaining and mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. Back in 19... 19- 79 i got invited by a man named butch stallings gentleman from mobile alabama to go near gatson alabama if i remember correctly 
And I remember the swamp was called Bone Swamp. Hmm. And they brought in Catahoula hounds. Primarily, these hound owners were from Louisiana. And they brought in these, all these guys that were friends of theirs, and they let these Catahoula hounds loose in this swamp. I killed a beautiful seven-point. Actually, an eight-point, but one brow time was broken. But, I mean, it was, it was amazing mm-hmm. being there and watching the deer going in circles and going around and running through that swamp trying to get away from those hounds. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it is a way of hunting, and it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But when you get a herd that's balanced and you get an age class, you've got your year-and-a-half, two-and-a-half, three-and-a-half, four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half-year-old bucks, and they're competing – it's more fun than that. Mm-hmm. It's more fun than dog running. Yeah, I would. I, I can still remember the first time I saw a buck respond to a, like a grunt call and then come right in. Let's go. Let's go with that. How could, do you remember the first time that you called a deer in? Oh yeah. Oh well, yeah. There's a story you want to tell? Well, I was I, I was a member of uh, Russell Davis's camp down at Rattlesnake, Mississippi, mm-hmm. which is near Hermanville, Mississippi. And I was on a ridge, a very narrow ridge, and I walked out on the ridge where it fell off into the swamp, into the creek. And I'm sitting there, and I picked up my grunt call and just, and around that tip came this 135, 140-inch eight-point. And it's the first time I ever had a deer respond to it, and he is looking like crazy. I couldn't believe it. Hmm. I was shooting my custom-made 308. Uh, brown precision with a fiberglass stop and I shot him at about 40 yards what a, what a wonderful experience that yeah. was that was 1986 so this is an exciting time for the first time in primo speak the language podcast history we're going to be offering a promo code specifically to our listeners and since we're talking about the rut we're talking about calling we're talking about november decoy and deer we're going to give you all 15 percent off all deer calls, the scar decoy, and all trigger sticks. So like in these storage here, it's talking about using the can, the grunt tubes. There's no better time to go pick up a can, a buck roar, a scar decoy, a bipod trigger stick, whatever you want. Use the promo code and get 15% off. All you have to do, go to the website, and when you check out with one of these items, enter the promo code capital P hashtag RUT in all caps. Capital P hashtag RUT in all caps. Check it out now at primos.com. Jordan, you remember the first time you caught a deer in? I've been sitting here thinking about it. I probably, I don't know what year it was, but I was probably 12, 14 years old, something like that, and I climbed in a tree with my climbing stand and a privet thicket along a creek, and I was doing the can. Where were you? In Lake Mississippi. Lake Mississippi. Yeah, that's where I did all my hunting up until I started doing all this. But anyway, uh, until you started working for Primos, yeah, well, pretty much when I started at Giles is when oh, I started well, traveling a little bit. Okay, working for Giles Island then in Louisiana, and then Mossy Oak. Yep, yep, and uh, I was sitting there canning because I'd seen you or Brad do it on one of the videos, and I'd done did it like ten times in a row, and here comes a spike, ten yards from me. I was like, Man, this thing works, and that was that was probably my first time I ever called a deer up well, i'm gonna tell you i've got a man uh we're here at my home right now and i've got a man that's doing some touch-up painting for me right now he's a big deer hunter and he said man tell me tell me i, I, I grunted at this deer i saw him this is like last week oh yeah so here it is the the first of november and this was the last week of october when he did this and 
he grunted at this deer, and the deer came to him and stood there at about 100 yards looking for him. Hmm. And he said he turned around and walked off. He said, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? He wouldn't come. I said, well, where were you? He said, I was just sitting up against a tree. I said, well, is it open around you? He said, yeah. I said, number one, you want to sit down where it's thick around you so the deer got to look for you. Mm-hmm. And I said, the most powerful sound he can hear, and I think it's a little early. His name is Hal. I said, Hal, it's a little bit early, but try the can. What's the can? He had no idea. Really? Yeah, so I gave him a can, and the next day he went back, and he saw that same buck walking. He's out on the edge of a cutover is the way I understand it. And he, he saw that buck walking, and he turned that can over, and that deer turned and ran to him. Huh. Wow. He got to 60 yards, and he missed him with a crossbow. <laughs> Man. I bet it was fun up to that point, It though. was. He loved you know? it. He loved it. <laughs> that is one, because we get, we get questions regarding setup all the time. And I can remember doing that in my, in my younger days. I'd be sitting in wide open hardwoods. You know, you can see forever, and I'd – see a deer and i'd grunt at it and then i'd wonder why he would just look my way and not come because he can see everything he can't see the deer because he's thinking where's the deer right and that's you know we try to the best example um that i can think of in recent years is there was one there was that uh that seven point that i filmed you shoot at togo yeah that one we were up in that real unbelievable calling hunt Mm mm-hmm and I, I think it, and it worked. Part of the reason it worked is we were in a position when you were grunting like that, they could not see. Actually, two bucks came at the same time, and mm-hmm. they split the distance. Right. They, they split on each side of the tree. Right. But they were because of where where it was and all that big thicket and nasty briars and they, vines they behind us. Find us. Right. One time, Brad and I were in Pike County, Illinois, and. We were, we, we were down in the bottom. We came off a big hill down in the bottom, and we're trying to figure out where we're going to set up. And there's a, a – it's, it's, it's a drainage-type ditch. It's not mm-hmm. a creek. It doesn't have water flowing in it year-round. A lot of the year it does, but it mainly is used by a flash flood, a lot of heavy rain to get the water out of that bottom. Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty big. It's probably – uh 10 yards 30 feet wide and 10 feet deep and so we had no cover but we knew where we needed to get set up next to this grass field down in that bottom and so we chose the edge of that creek Mm -hmm. and the reason being when if we were had the opportunity to call and a deer looked over there he knows where the creek bed is the deer could very easily be in the creek bed and the deer was going to have to come close to us to see the bottom of the creek bed. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to necessarily be a treetop, a cane thicket, or actually a visual obstruction. Mm -hmm. It can be contours. Right. It can be a big rock. It can be a creek bottom, whatever. And so we were able to kill that buck. We we, buck came through, and we called to him, and he came to about 25 yards trying to look into that creek bottom to find the doe. We were able to kill that buck. Right. The same kind of situation. You're in somewhere where he can't just look and go. There's not a deer there. That's right. Hey, yep. If he has to come investigate for it to, you know, for him to see if there's a deer there or not. Same way with me and you in Illinois. What four years ago? Yeah. Three years ago, I was hunting. We were hunting separate, just on a fun hunt. wasn't videoing. And I had this buck. I would actually been blind calling, and uh, right at dark. And and blind calling is is calling without seeing a deer. Okay. 
and I've just been doing that periodically, you know, every 10, 15 minutes, just acting like imitating a chase. Just, so you're grunting and doozing the can. Yeah. Did you snort and wheeze at all? No. Okay. Not not until I saw the deer. Or I was looking at after I'd called and everything, I saw this buck coming. Well he was he was gonna go too far from me to get a shot. Well I let him pass me and I was in a CRP field right on the fence row. It was thick on both sides, so I was eight feet off the ground, wasn't high at all, but I was in a thicket. And he passes me at probably sixty yards going towards the lake. You're bow hunting. Right. Going straight towards the lake. And uh, I grunted. and you, I, you can't let Lake kill his deer. No, uh-uh. I grunted at him, and he stopped and looked. <laughs> and he started walking again towards Lake, and I snort wheezed. And he couldn't see, so he had to turn around and walk 10 yards from me because he had to come up there and look. He did leave out the part of the story where he told me, man, I could hear you rattling, and then I saw that buck walking towards you. <laughs> yeah. In other words, he caught it. Well, you know. <laughs> kind of like turkey hunting. My, he, he was my caller. My, my incredible friend, Paul Corn, and talk about friends. In your life, you go through life, and you meet those people. Mm-hmm. And I describe Paul Corn this way. If I'm ever in a plane crash, I want there to be at least one survivor, and I want it to be Paul Corn. Because you'll both get out alive. <laughs> he cares that much about you. He's that good of a friend. And he's, he's, not, he's a team player. Well, Paul ended up being a friend with Paul Fountain from Iowa, mm-hmm. who's got some incredible opportunity to hunt places in Iowa. He, 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 and so Paul leased a farm from him. And Paul got in there, and I'd been, Paul had been, he, he, Paul was an injection mold engineer he understood how to mold stuff and he, he owned a injection mold plant called prism plastics and that's where primos built a whole lot of their plastic parts mm-hmm. so he was learning about calling for me and one thing or another and he had gotten one of our calls that he actually built which had a grunt snort wheeze on it and all that everything built into the call so this big buck he's hunting this big buck that he's got pictures of and he's in a ravine bottom the way i remember it and he sees the buck and the buck comes by and he grunts at him and the buck stops and looks back at him he's paused uphill slightly buck looks back at him and it continues walking just like yours did jordan and so paul goes well, i ain't never heard a deer do this the way i remember paul telling me but i'm gonna i'm gonna try this snort weed mm-hmm. thing that, that will primos told me to try and Paul said he wheezed at that buck, and his, his bow is hanging on a bow hanger, and he could not get his bow off the bow hanger in time. The buck was 10 yards from his tree before he could even get his bow off the bow hanger. Mm-hmm. And he killed the buck, Boone and Crockett, absolutely monster. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So calling can be so effective. It's all about timing. Mm-hmm. Just because it doesn't work one time, it might not work again. I, a, I mean, this the southeast is typically can be warm during the during the rut, during your November, December, January times. And I had a friend down in Natchez who'd never used the can, and he asked, "Well, you know," I said, well, "Get close to a cutover where you know that they're hiding and living during the day." When you think things are quiet and everything's kind of right, get your can out and just turn it over and meh, meh, 
Wait a few, three times, and the last time a little more pause because you're making that buck hear it and then get get in, in, interested in it. And he said, I did that. And he said, I could not believe how intense this beautiful buck came to me, came straight out of that cutover and straight to the edge of the cutover where I was hunting. Mm-hmm. And he killed him. Yeah. He killed him with a gun, but still, he was close. One thing that I, you that you said that I think is worth touching on again, because I hear this a lot. Uh, I'm sure all of y'all have. It's like they, they'll go out there and they'll say, all right, I'm going to try this calling thing. And they'll call like one time, nothing happens. They go, oh, well, that doesn't work. And they never really, you know, they never really try it again. You know, they, they even, if they are blind calling or even if they see a buck and it doesn't work out, they they think, you know, that didn't work. They, it's like a... They don't want to try it again, which oftentimes for us, it doesn't work the first time we no. do it. And during the rut, I call way more far as making deer noises than I would turkey hunting. Hmm. Yeah. I do. I never stop, really. I give it a five, yeah. ten-minute break, and I'm grunting. You know, I've thought about it, and I don't know if y'all would be willing to do this or not, uh, but I think that we need to have a section of videos because we've got so much absolute live no edit footage of calling up deer. I'm thinking of one right now where Johnny St. Clair was was videoing me up at uh, up at our farm, and the buck was walking through a freshly cut over area, and he was 100 yards away, and I grunted at him and I grunted at him, and he couldn't hear me, and so I wheezed. Now wheeze is higher pitched and mm-hmm. travels faster and further than the low-pitched grunt sound. When I wheezed at him, he stopped on a dime and looked straight at us. I grunted at him. Nothing. I turned the can over, and he marched straight to us. Yeah. Now, he's a four-and-a-half-year-old deer. He didn't have much horns. He wasn't but a – I remember him being a 110-inch type deer. But, I mean, that deer walked straight to us understanding that understanding number one how far they can hear when they can hear when they're walking when he finally did hear me and then focused on us and then heard the bleat and came straight to us all that is experience and being willing to try stuff Mm -hmm. because i would say a lot of that is just comes from just trying things over and over again until you start piecing that together what would it be if we got it, they, they could be short excerpts of all this calling footage where we've actually called up deer, unedited, live action, on video, so people could begin to grasp it and understand it and give them confidence to try it. That'd yeah. be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. It would be worth doing, 100%. Cause especially, you know, because like we said, this is the whole reason we're doing this podcast episode with it being November. These questions like that start flooding in this time of year because yeah. everyone's breaking their calls out. They're thinking about, especially in the Midwest, you know. And you think about this, too. If you're not calling enough and you're hunting a semi-thick area where you can't see but, you know, 100 yards. Or Or how about five yards? Or whatever. But during the rut, those bucks are traveling miles a day. Miles. And if you don't call at the right time, blind calling is what I'm talking about, he never hears you because he's steady cruising looking for a doe. Yeah. You could have a, a, a buck walk by your area that you never knew was in the world yep. and you never called to him. So and don't you know, be afraid to call. What's, an, what's amazing is a lot of times we'll hunt in food plots because we know that deer are needing greens, they're needing to find a food source. And there'll be a deer out there in a food plot 75 yards away. Mm-hmm. And we're in a tree on the edge. And we just 
we're not going to shoot the deer for whatever reason. It doesn't meet our classifications or whatever the case may be. And we pick up a grunt call and go, and he looks up and goes back to eating. Many, many people do that. Mm-hmm. And they think, that deer just heard something. He ain't interested. What, what's going on? The deer is in the open. He's not in a position where he is looking for another deer. And he sees calling coming from the edge. All of that is works against him. Mm-hmm. It's like I talk about calling turkeys. If you're calling turkeys to what I call as a wall, they're not coming. Mm-hmm. A wall can be... Uh, a, a wall can be uh, Mary. Halt! Just let the tree right there. Seam. Clap. Do something. He ain't gone far. He's gonna come back. See, he lit right there. Are you getting your birds? Mm-hmm. Mary, go out there and clap your hands, Eddie. He's just sitting there waiting to get one of them bluebirds. Yeah, we can get at this. Okay. <laughs> I think we ought to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> if you leave it, a, a, a hawk just flew in here. Mary and I feed the birds, and we got a bunch of bluebirds, and uh, we feed them mealworms. Plus, we've got all kind of red-bellied woodpeckers, red-headed woodpeckers. We got uh, uh, nut hatches. We got wrens. We got red birds. Oh, my gosh, we got some birds. <laughs> but uh, we just had a... I don't know, it kind of looks like a peregrine falcon. I'm not yeah. sure what kind of hawk. It's a little smaller hawk. Mm-hmm. And they come in here, and I've actually witnessed them scare the dead gum birds, and then another hawk comes in and grabs them out of midair. Mm-hmm. That mm. hunting teens. Yeah. Smart critters. Anyway, where were we before we got messed up with the hawk? You were talking about uh, walls. You're creating yeah. a wall. So, if same thing for elk. If if what you're against is a is a wall of timber, uh, very thick, a, a, a stone wall, which would be an actual wall, so to speak. Deer, elk, turkeys, they're not going to approach that. You know, you don't want to create a wall to call against. You want to create something where the animal can see around you, past you. It might be thick where you exactly where you are, but. You want to be able to create a situation to where that that animal interprets that as I'm coming over there to check it out, and it's nothing to keep anything from jumping on me. Right. Yeah. It doesn't seem unnatural. Exactly. Right. Doesn't seem like a wall. Right. And I think I mean, like we talked, like I said earlier, that's most people that's pro- that are skeptical about calling. That's probably like the only times they've ever tried it. It's when they're like looking at a deer in a food plot. Exactly. Rup, rup, rup. Well, that doesn't work. It's the reason I brought that up. Mm-hmm. I think, and so, and, and we talked about this before too, as far as setup goes. You know, you're talking about getting in thickets where you can see a hundred yards, yeah. twenty yards, five yards. A lot of people they like to, they think they need to be in spots where they can see forever. You know, and so they miss out a lot of those good calling spots. The edge of a food plot, I consider a wall. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to try to call a turkey out of a field. I'm going to be 50 yards behind the edge of that mm-hmm. food plot because I got to get them into the woods looking for me. Right. Right. They're not going to, they're not, if, if you call it from the edge, it's going, uh, I can see everything. Over I, can see, I don't see no turkey sitting there, <laughs> you know, right. I don't right. see any deer sitting there. 
Right. Same well, kind of deal. Well, it's like in uh, like one of the stands that, that you and I hung in, in Kansas. You know, we're not hunting to hunt the edge of that field per se. We're hunting in that drain where we're expecting the deer to be traveling through. So, Will, you know this area in Kansas. You all uh, turkey hunted up there. Okay. That's where we saw the prairie chickens, right? Oh, yeah, 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 okay. It's right north of it, that creek runs through there, that beautiful, I mean, crystal clear. I forget the name of the the, the store that was the one of the last water sources for the people on the Oregon Trail yeah. going west. That's right there. And, and yeah, they had a store there, and the, this outlaw, I forget the name of the outlaw band, they killed... They wounded the wife and and killed the husband. I remember that story. I think we 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 were right there. Yeah, and there was a plaque commemorating yep. mm-hmm. that place. It was water boiling out of the ground. It was the last artesian source of water going west. Yeah, but uh, this spot we're hunting this year is right there. Big old drain just coming down that same creek that the artesian wells on. But anyway, it's absolutely beautiful. It's uh gorgeous 100 acre bean field the closest bean field within five miles of there talking about this is a money hole but anyway the tree we put this stand in is a turn in the creek right there (laughs) and this and this creek juts out towards the field makes a nine so you got a funnel back in the woods exactly big bedding area right north of us probably 300 yards you can see in it from this stand but calling where we're at, any deer within a half mile, if you get loud enough, it's going to look down there off these bluffs. You know how the bluffs are up there. And big rolling hills going into this bottom. Any deer looking from there is going to assume that deer is in that creek or right behind us in that yep. little thicket. Or has moved on. Yep. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it is outstanding. Like, as far as a calling set up, Jordan was, you know, we were hanging, we both climbed up there and looked around and got we're like that's a calling spot right there like i I, i'm so eager to see what comes out of there well you know for us uh i've learned so much from being a part of the quality deer management association Mm -hmm. qdma and just they're teaching about aging deer and understanding whitetail behavior and understanding the life of a whitetail has added so much to my hunting uh i've got a friend paul ellis and he's he's got these great bucks on his place and he sends me a picture and and he'll say you know i don't think this one's very old and i said well you're looking at the horns don't look at the horns take the horns off his head Mm -hmm. and you got different little things that add to the nuances of aging a deer based on the time of year if it's september if it's october if it's november for us here in mississippi you get into December, you're getting more into the rut and mm-hmm. body lots of little nuances that you got to take into effect. But the same thing applies in different um, degrees in other parts of the country. But there's characteristics of a deer that's one and a half, two and a half, three and a half. And once they get to be four and a half, there are characteristics that tell you that that deer is four and a half or older. Right. And then you start looking for the characteristics that will help you discern that, oh, he might be five and a half. Right. Dang it. He could be six and a half. So after four and a half, there's, there, you, you, you begin to learn how to look at the characteristics of the body. 
it's no different than looking at a human being. You can look at a human being and go, oh, he's in his 40s. Oh, he's in his 50s. Oh, that joker's in his 80s. (laughs) (laughs) And different people age a little faster or slower than other people. Right. Based on their diet, what they eat, how they exercise, there's, there's things you can do to improve the way you look. Same thing for deer, but they have hereditary different characteristics that allow you to be able to judge them and get pretty close to their age. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's amazing. I love hunting with Jordan because I look at a deer and they go, hmm. And I, I know what I think, but I say, Jordan, is he old enough? Shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that matters. Yeah. So in other words, he's agreeing with what I'm thinking. That deer's four and a half plus. Right. You know, and then you, there, there's times when you don't want to shoot a four and a half. Yeah. You've got a four and a half year old that's a 10 point. You're going, ooh, at five and a half, he may be really, he might be something. Right. But if he's an eight point, four and a half. So what tells me that? The, one of the number one things that I look for and that I've learned from QDMA, if his shoulders are bigger than his hams, mm-hmm. he's four and a half plus. Right. Now, now I start looking at his neck his waddles how low his neck comes in on his body how black his hocks are different little things that tell me he might be five and a half yeah which helps me decide whether i want to shoot that buck correct yeah. i always feel like the five-year-olds too it's like that size difference between the shoulder and the hams is even more exaggerated yeah like i think it i think it might have been brad but it's something always stuck at me say when they get five-year-old plus they start getting shaped like a wheelbarrow that's right. <laughs> it's true. If you look all at those fr- old All deer. front end. Mm-hmm. All front end. Yeah. And just, next low comes in low to the chest. Right. There's not really any distinction between yeah. their chest and yeah. their neck. It all just kind yeah. of flows. Right. Don't look at the horns. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, Jordan always does when he's asking me how old I think one is. He goes, look, and he takes his hand and he covers his horns up in the pictures where I can't see. <laughs> yeah, that's a great test. Because even if you don't, I mean, even if you know, like, because sometimes I'll catch myself doing it. I'll, I won't just stare at the horns, but yeah. I'll tie that into the equation. Yeah. I cover them up. And I don't think anybody can be perfect. I mean, I love what QDMA does. They take four or five experts and have them age a certain deer. And those experts will disagree. Sometimes you'll have four of them say, hey, four and a half and that last number five will go he's five and a half plus and here he gives his reasons why who knows if he's right or wrong right only way you know he's right or wrong is to take a tooth and send it off and have it have Mm -hmm. it microscopically examined yeah it's it's definitely it can be finicky i can remember i mean there's there's been deer killed that everyone thought was three and then you pull the bone and he turns out he's seven and then there's some you think are older and then he turns out to be three yeah that's exactly right (laughs) it happens it absolutely happens but as far as that yeah that that setup that jordan's talking about and that that creek bend i can't like i I imagine so who's going to hunt there brad (laughs) and who's videoing like well, that might be a mistake. Why? Because Brad will see one of them big Kansas deer. It'd be two and a half, and Brad will think he's five and a half. <laughs> he needs he needs to be he needs to be rained down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, I, I got a spot that uh, I'm really looking forward to go to. It's a spot me and Jimmy Riley hunted six years ago. Me and him 
Found Jimmy Riley from uh, Giles Island. Okay. I filmed him shoot a really nice deer at Mr. Jerry's years and years ago. And, and anyway, uh, the spot we call the killing tree. And there's been a lot of deer got opportunity to shot out of it. And it's just an approving spot. So, and it's a, another really good college spot. It's got a cedar thicket that butts up to it. And you're 40 yards off a cedar thicket. So any deer running up and down the prairie, if you call to them, they're going to think it's coming from that cedar thicket. See, that's the point. Yep. Got something behind you mm-hmm. that the deer can look into and throw. There's no wall there. Yeah, <laughs> they're behind there somewhere. <laughs> but we are going to bring Scar. Oh my goodness! Yeah, well, I'm gonna tell you what. I've had more luck with a deer decoy if I use another decoy in a thicket. Right. Especially on a food plot. Uh huh. So you set the buck up. You got the wind in your favor. Wind's blowing in your face. You set that buck up where you want that deer to approach. But you set the buck up so he's looking under your tree stand in the thicket behind you. Mm -hmm. And I've used a Montana decoy because they're real portable. Uh, You can fold them up. And I'm taking, I'm not putting legs on them. And I'm taking a doe Montana decoy and setting it in the thicket so you can see part of the back the head and neck, mm-hmm. and the buck is staring at that. How many times have you seen that yourself? I know I have mm-hmm. seen it a lot. Bunch. So the doe's bedded up. She's not ready to breed, and that buck is staring there, and he's going to stay right there. He's going to lay down. He's going to stand there, whatever, he's, until she gets up and moves. He's guarding the queen. He's guarding the queen. And if you do that with a decoy and a, another buck walks into the field, he does not get suspicious. Right. When you've got a decoy and the decoy is staring in a certain direction and a buck walks into the field and the decoy does not address the intruder, the flag goes up. Something's not right. Because okay. if you'll watch any deer that approaches another deer, if that deer is locked in on something, that deer will wag its tail. Mm-hmm. It will let that other deer know, I'm alive, I'm looking at it, but I'm not taking my eyes off it because it might be a hot doe or it might be danger, whatever it might be. So that other buck begins to circle the decoy, the buck that's looking at the object, and that's when you get your shot. Yep. So having something that the other deer can see that the decoy is looking at is magical. Mm-hmm. But you want the, the scar facing you. Ears, facing you ears and towards the you. deer that's bedded. Right. Because yep. that, that buck that's coming in is going to circle around in front of him and, or beside him. And face him. Okay. It's yeah. the same It's the same kind of like concept as when we're talking about calling. Like you, you're trying to build something that makes it look the most real to yep. the deer. You know, you don't want him to come out and look like something foreign to him. You know, like mm-hmm. something he sees a doe. You know, he sees a buck out there staring at a bed of doe. That makes sense to him. And when you add all this in with calling, you got a realistic situation. Yeah. The last time I was by myself, I got to hunt by myself, I was at Cottonmouth, and I was in the turkey field. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I took a decoy, and I took a Montana doe and set it up in the thicket. And I had three different three-and-a-half-year-old bucks come in that field and march straight to that decoy coming around because they could see him looking at that at that mm-hmm. at that doe who was bedded there. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And I've, all the time you hear people say you can't decoy a deer in the south. Oh yeah. 
Oh, yes, you can. You hear it all the time. Like, hey, you can't do it. Those deer don't act that way down here. Hate to tell you, but if you do it right, they will react just like a deer reacts. Mm-hmm. What about, let's talk about rattling. People ask about that all the time. When do you rattle? What time of year? How often do you rattle? How many times a day? You know, how many times when I'm in my hunt should I rattle? Well, for me, you can answer all those questions. But I've been lucky enough to observe, I don't know, a dozen fights. Mm -hmm. Most of those fights are so brief and so quick that they create curiosity rather than an ongoing noise commotion yeah. that a deer will come to. So these two deer look at each other, they size each other up, and bam, they hit. Bam. Bah, 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 bah. And it's over that quick. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they're both running off. Neither one of them want to get into it. Neither one of them decided they can win, and they're gone. So... I, what I do is try to create a curiosity effect. The worst thing you can do is rattle, and all of a sudden you look, and there's the deer standing there looking at you, looking up in the tree, and you've got a rattle horn in each hand. <laughs> it don't work. Whether you're hunting with a bow or a gun, it don't work. Right. So what you want to do is create, bam, and put those horns away and be quiet. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, too. Number and then one call. Yeah, and then call. Yeah. Go ahead. What are you going to say, Jordan? The number one problem I've ever seen with people rattling in the last 30 seconds is way too long. Oh, way too long. Yeah. I'm talking about rattling for five seconds. Five, yep. maybe seven seconds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just and boom, then, boom. And then be quiet for a while. Now, what what does a grunt mean? A, a tending grunt? A eh, eh. That means a hot dough somewhere. That's a hot dough. But if you're... Something more... He is mad about something. He's mad about something. Mm -hmm. He's mad about... So you do that, and what you're doing is you're simulating, you're imitating, you're reproducing another buck telling another buck, stay away from me and my dough. That's Mm -hmm. typically what it means. What's the next step? A roar. Roar. I am hot. Mm. I am going. We're going to get into it. Stay away from me. And so another book is listening to that. And then what's the next step? Snort weed. Snort weed. Snort weed. Once you. That book is on the edge as close as he can be from Mm. diving off. He is fixing to slam another book. Yeah. And that's what he's telling that other book. So when you do that, you're telling a book that's listening to it. They're fighting over a doe. Mm-hmm. They're preoccupied. They're very busy. If I sneak over there, I might be able to get it on the doe. And so that's when you can call one up. But you've got to do it and shut up and let them search you. Let them hunt you. You can't hunt a deer where he is. you got to hunt him where he's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I- I've seen... The exact scenario you just said, I saw that play out in a cornfield in Iowa, a fresh cut cornfield. There was two, there was a, some two three year old bucks out there, both of them doing that kind of you know they start sizing each other up and kind of sidestepping each other, bristled up, and they got to they were fighting and then they you know one was running off in the middle of all that madness going on, another three year old buck runs out from the woods and takes the doe. Yeah. 
just like that. Me and you would do the same thing. <laughs> oh me. But yeah, it's it's um Radlin is uh is probably one of the most well, all of it's fun, but that it's we seem tend to get so many questions regarding around that because I think there's just you know like I don't know just so many misconceptions about it or how you're supposed to use it as far as the timing and and whatnot and then the one that would follow up with that is uh the can because it's you know a lot of people know about the can but they're like how do i you know when do i use it you know how do i use it it all works in together uh-huh. i don't do one without doing another right i'm either grunting and canning or rattling and grunting and canning yeah. and one of the three you know yeah, most of the time when i'm when i'm filming you and you're calling you're grunting and canning you're not usually doing one or the right. other you're you're conjoining them together yeah i remember that hunt that jordan and i were on and we had a little eight point four and a half year old eight point not a huge deer and we're calling to him a lot right grunting at him bleating at him and he's halfway browsing halfway looking halfway coming and but all, it, it was in a spot where he couldn't see unless he got within bow range. That's exactly right. And he was almost in bow range. He was, you know, 40 yards. And all of a sudden, something catches my eye. And in that thicket behind us, a really nice buck <laughs> came up. Yeah. And he heard me tell Jordan, if I remember the story exactly right, that the big buck was right there on us. I mean, he's at 15 yards. So he got spooky and circled around us. I shot at him at 60 yards, and he reacted, turned around, and the air barely touched his neck. 30 minutes later, Jimmy killed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. T- <laughs> yeah, me and Will looked at each other. Mm. Or I, said- I remember that part. Jordan said, you reckon Jimmy just killed that deer? I said, no way. <laughs> and we got to the skinny shed, and it looked like the same buck. He was very distinguishable. And it looked like the same buck, but I'd already showed Jordan my arrow where a few hairs were up under the broad head, up under the rage where one of the blades expanded, had, had deployed. And I looked at the side of his neck. It wasn't even where it was bleeding. But it cut the hair off and cut through that white part of the hide. Yeah, he didn't even cut into the flesh. Uh-uh. Yeah. They're like, what are the chances that would happen like that? <laughs> Only Jimmy. Only Jimmy. But Jimmy, he loved it. Oh, he ate it up. He still talks about that. Oh, yeah. He, it's, it's like, y'all remember that time I shot Wilbur's buck? Yeah. Every time. But, that's what he Jimmy, says. Jimmy could have never killed that deer, and he would never kill a deer if we didn't run it over him. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way he goes. Oh, is that where... Is that where I shot Wilbur's buck? That's how he, every time. Oh, yeah. that, 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 that was that season I shot Wilbur's buck. Oh, yeah. He was a real nice buck. Oh, yeah. That's all, that's all the time he talks Jim, about Jimmy it. Jimmy is a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Jordan, what have we not covered? Keep man, me on track here. We've covered it all spectrums, I think. I mean, only thing we haven't covered is the different phases of the rut and yeah. how that kind of plays in with your calling or right. whatever. But to me, I call the same all the time, whether it's pre-rut, middle of rut, whatever. Well, what is pre-rut to a early buck uh-huh. might not be pre-rut to a buck that's normally in the rut. In other words, you just never know. Yep. So go ahead and be a deer and 
Let the cards fall where they may. Act like you're a deer. They'll think you're a deer, and they might come see if you're a deer. Yeah. <laughs> I want to close with one last thing. Okay. And that's the approach that you make to where you're going to make your stand, where you're going to hunt. A lot of people do not take that into account. Mm-hmm. And they will approach with the wind at their back. They'll cross the area they're going to hunt, then turn around and get the wind in their face. Mm-hmm. Remember that the approach to your hunting spot is probably the, the number one detriment to your success. If you approach with the wind at your back, it ain't going to work. Don't let that wind blow into where you think them deer are. Never. Mm-hmm. Not Never. with your scent. Never. If you do, you'll be scratching your head going, why am I not seeing anything? Why am I not seeing anything? Take the long way around and make sure you stay Jordan, downwind everybody. you have been a master at that. <laughs> oh, I can't think of any ways or reasons. but Oh, yeah, I so, can. I can. I can think of me asking, Jordan, why do we have to go all the way around here? Because the wind is never going to be right. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. That's that Giles Island guide in him. Uh, there you go. He's good at it. He is. He is. I can't fault him there. Well, guys, I've enjoyed visiting with y'all. I look forward to deer season. Uh, We're fixing to be into our special time of year. I wish I was going to Kansas with you, uh, and I'm glad y'all are going. And I'll tell you what, Mr. Jerry, what a fine family. They don't get no better. No. What a fine family. They have treated me like a son. No, they're good, good folks. He killed him a big old elk this year. Mm -hmm. And and his buddy, Mr. Cricket. Cricket ain't allowed this year. He ain't being able to. They won't let him come with us. Why not? He won't behave. <laughs> Wait a minute. He's never behaved. <laughs> it was a grand spectacle on that elk hunt, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. Golly, it was funny. Mr. Armstrong is the number one cricket supplier for the southeast, and that's why we call him Mr. Cricket. Yep. Yeah. Y'all, if anybody buys crickets at uh, PetSmart or Petco, wherever, they're buying Armstrong crickets in the southeast. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) All right, guys, enjoyed it. Y'all be good. Thank y'all. Have good luck in Kansas. Yes, sir. Thank you.